guys get together to shoot the breeze and talk about our favorite movies and the lessons they teach us about being a man. Uh, just a quick intro, I'm JB, I'm a husband, a father of two, um, a son, and a brother. I am in no means an expert on any of those things, but I do the best that I can. Uh, I have a passion for film and a passion for discipleship, so why not mix the two? Uh, movies can teach us a lot about life, and that's what I want to dive into. So let's get started. Joining me today for my very first episode is uh, from 25YL and Cinephile Hissy Fits, um, Don Shanahan. Don, what's going on, buddy? How you doing, JB? Great to meet you. I know we've circled ourselves in different social media circles, and it's always nice to take somebody you talk to with your fingers virtually and see him in person. Well, not so much in person, but we're over webcams and things like that. But yeah, right. uh, you know, damn glad to be here. Yeah, man, glad to have you. Glad to have you. Mm-hmm. So why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about you know what you've been watching recently? Um, yeah, sure. No, I'm one of those guys where um, I'm a press credential critic. So uh, front lines, you know, Rotten Tomatoes certified as that kind of guy. Um, it all started at Every Movie Has a Lesson, which I feel like lends right into where, where your show's going. So uh, I feel like we're going to have a, a heck of a show. What I've been watching lately is uh, I just got out of, yes, no, yesterday, the day before. Day before yesterday, I, I saw uh, Reminiscence, the new Hugh Jackman film that hits mm. HBO Max on the 20th. And I watched Shang Chi, the new Marvel movie. So nice. I know, I know. Um, it's I admit it's the coolest thing I do is be able to get to see movies for free and early. And uh, in terms of short reactions, because I don't want to spoil it for folks who are out there, I can't super endorse the Hugh Jackman one. It's kind of a muddled mess of wannabe noir, wannabe romantic drama, and I'm not sure if those two things go together. Hugh Jackman is always dedicated as can be, but the material around him not so much. Shang Chi's awesome. Shang-Chi is, is the action you're looking for, the gravitas that can that a Marvel film can be, and to bring it to a different demographic, different culture, different landscape, is just what the doctor ordered. So I think those are the last two things I've seen. On the side, um, as part of writing for 25 Well, one of their kind of themes, that one of the recurring kind of pieces that they do with the film department is they look at things that are turning 25 years old. So every now and then I write a piece that, on something that is turning 25, uh, I'm in the process of writing a piece on Swingers from 1996 because that'd be 25. So I just watched that. I got to sit down and write it. And then last week I saw The Ghost and the Darkness, the very good lion creature feature movie. And that piece hit the uh, hit the published airwaves this past week. So that's been my list. What have you been watching, JB? You absorb stuff way more than I do. <laughs> like I, I see the frontline stuff, but you see tons more older stuff than I do. Yeah, I, I try to. Um, I'm, I'm trying to catch up, man. I'm trying to catch up. Uh, but real quick, though, Swingers, is that a John Favreau? Did he direct that? John Favreau wrote it. Uh, he did not direct it. They got, um, they took kind of a an equally, like a buddy who was kind of a, a budding filmmaker who ended up being Doug Lyman, who directed The Firstborn Identity, Jumper. He's done uh, you know action movies since then. So that was kind of a discovery spot for Doug as well as, as much as it was for John. But that's all... That's all John's story for sure. Okay, cool. Yeah, I've never actually seen that, but I do like Favreau a lot. Yeah. Um, so I'll this have is to... this is uh it is it is raw and original Favreau because it's uh it's his kind of semi autobiographical I don't want to call it semi autobiographical but it's him kind of speaking on the stories of a struggling actor in the in you know coming up in Hollywood and trying to just get parts have buddies who are also actors trying to get parts and all that. Yeah, I got you. So yes, I, I do watch a uh, a, a huge uh, uh, scope of, of movies that I try to watch, um, mm-hmm. and I am getting into a lot of older stuff. I, I went on a Hitchcock binge recently, um, which I discovered uh, one uh, that I had never I, I think I'd heard of, but man, Shadow okay. Shadow of a Doubt, man, dude, Ooh, like pick the winner there. Dude, man, I was yeah. just completely blown away, and I love noir. Like, mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. like every time I watch anything that is even remotely noir esque, you know, I'm like, okay, riveted. Yeah. Um, so that that movie just kind of hit me, man. Uh, but another one that's <laughs> not not quite as um uh praised uh 
by most people was uh, Tango and Cash. Man, I see. As a '90s kid, I love Tango and Cash. Yeah, thank you. Like, yeah. I, I had never seen it, but I've just seen people, you know, crap on it all the time. But I'm like, man, this movie is like, yes, it's super cheesy, and mm-hmm. but but it, it, it works. Like everything about it, it works. You know, the young folks today will probably call it a poor man's Hobbs and Shaw. But you know what? It's I, it's it's better because those guys back then are just more genuine. They're in more of a crackpot weird little story. They're willing to do some R-rated stuff, and which, of course, makes it a little more fun. And then, yeah, it's the 90s. You have personalities like those two guys, Stallone and, and Russell, and just the, the one-upmanship of that. Yeah, it's a blast. Oh, absolutely, man! Just every single minute, I was just I was laughing oh, yeah. and I was just like pumping, like everything was just mm-hmm. yeah. It's just like a perfect, yeah. per- perfect dude movie. I know. Um, and, and, and and as a Superman fan, Terry Hatcher is so smoking hot, man. I'll just say it out loud. <laughs> Sorry, honey, she's great. But I'm a Lois and Clark kid, so yeah. It's all good, man. It's all good. Okay. Uh, yeah. It, anytime I watch, you know, buddy films like that, I just I, it takes me back to you know, Butch and Sundance, um, yep. and like what they did in the sixties, like it just transcends throughout all generations. And like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I just, I love those types of movies. Yeah. Keep, keep going on that rabbit hole between the buddy movies and Hitchcock and you won't find, you won't find bad things to watch. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, well, I guess we need to get started. I haven't even mentioned, uh, the movie that we're going to be talking about today, um, this today's uh, manly movie is um, 1990. I want to say 89, but I'll let you try. Yes, 90. yes, 89. 89. 89. Yeah. We, we, we talked about Tango and Cash, which came out the same year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Field of Dreams, um, mm-hmm. the iconic Kevin Costner classic, um, which is very special to Don, and I want to let Don talk about just kind of initial thoughts on the movie, you know, what he likes about it. Probably not yeah. much, probably not much that you don't like about it, but yeah, just kind of. <laughs> no, I, um, if I'm ranking, all right, I, JB's heard this rant of mine on social media. I'm a guy who differentiates best and favorite. I just call it an occupational hazard as a critic, but, uh, like I recognize that Field of Dreams <clears throat> is, is it's very mythic is probably an acquired taste for people who are more cynical, but man, if that's not right there with it's a wonderful life, it's like a, just a mystical slice of Americana and a favorite. I might like, if I, if I get this scorecard out and I, and I put the critic hat on and I get all fancy about it, I might say that Bull Durham is the better overall baseball movie because it just does more for baseball. It's more engaging in different kinds of ways, but man, if this movie isn't the most, one of the top most special sports movies you can have. I don't know what is. And if you can't watch this movie and get an emotion out of it, man, you're a little dead inside. And I, I hate to meet people who hate this movie because I just, I, I just can't see it. I mean, is it, is it, is it hokey at the beginning with the voices and all that? Like if it's a first time watching, you're like, what the hell's going on? <laughs> yeah, probably. But to see it escalate and to see it kind of twist. And if that finale doesn't get you, man, I don't know what does. Because it all crescendos to a big deal of a family story, and it's been inching that way the whole time. And the, and the nostalgia of baseball is huge. And as a kid, baseball was my my first favorite sport, and I was never very good at it. I was a twerp of a kid, where I, I you know I did t-ball when I was five, and I was way undersized, and I could, I couldn't hang. I stopped playing baseball. I don't know what you guys call your little league stuff now, but I stopped playing when I was about 10, 11, when bro, whenever the line was between switching from bronco to pony ball. And I'm like, I, I just knew then I, I can't hang, and I wasn't a good enough player, but I loved the game. And as a, as a growing up outside Chicago, that I was a, you know, I'm, a, I'm, I'm 42, so that those 1984 Cubs when I was about five were a big deal, and then those 1989 Cubs that had a great division run were a super big deal for me. So yeah, I couldn't get enough baseball. I was a baseball card collecting nut. They're all still stuck in a box from my mother's departed, retired house upstairs in my new house. But baseball is the place I, I soaked it up. But what makes this movie special for me more than anything is is just what it did for me as a kid and now even more as a parent is the story of fathers. 
and I know we'll get into this more, but like to most people who watch this movie, it's an instant connection to likely something they've shared with their father. And for me, it's a shade of the opposite where um, my parents were, were just a rocky marriage, not the best couple. And for most of my life, my dad was, was an alcoholic mess and he was not the kind of dad who wanted, whoever wanted to go get, have, have a catch. He was not the kind of dad who was ever going to pull me aside and teach me baseball. Um, my mom wasn't super good at it either. So I got all that from coaches and from friends, which is great. But when I watched this movie, it hits me how hard so much of that stuff can come from a good parent. And I didn't have that. And I, I, I look back and I feel like I lucked out because I still found a passion for the game. I still found a passion for this movie without super duper firm connections at the dad part. I watch it now and it destroys me because my oldest is a girl and I, I, and we're not quite in the sports level yet, but I, I, I watch all of the stuff that transpires with the main character where he has a tenuous relationship with his father and my father's still alive and we're great now. Let me tell you, my dad and I are great now, but but then, when I was a kid watching this movie, I, our, our relationship wasn't great at all. So in so many movies, including this one, I find examples of how to be a good dad when I didn't have one at home. So, And that's kind of the weird little wish fulfillment and fantasy fulfillment that movies can do for people is sometimes you get – I know we call it escapism. And for me, it's like I found all these great examples of good dads that – I really wished I had, and I told myself someday I want to be. And to get all that, or at least mm -hmm. get a big slice of that out of Field of Dreams, is a special thing. Oh, yeah. I agree. Um, and, and I appreciate you sharing that. Um, yeah. <clears throat> more, more where that came from, because, man, it's... Whew. Yeah, it'll hit you, man. Uh, what My initial thoughts on, on this film is, you know, there are a lot of very good sports movies out there. Um, but there are very few quote unquote sports movies that are actually about the sport like that, that, yeah. that don't just use it as a backdrop to tell another story. And, and this movie, like the, at the, yes, it, it's, it has something to say about fathers and, and families, but like at its heart of hearts, it's talking about this American passion for baseball um, and, 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 the, and James Earl Jones in his speech there, um, like when he's talking about it, he says, you know, people will come because they'll want to, uh, experience this and they'll want to go back to when they were a kid and they watched games growing up, like throughout all the wars and everything that this country has gone through. The one, what he says, the one constant in America has been baseball, like it, it's just it's timeless it's true the, yeah. the sport is so pure and so like i said timeless man and it's, it's it just it brings back memories like you said when you're in everybody played little league like yeah. it doesn't matter how athletic or not athletic you were everybody played t-ball at yeah, least and they loved it and yeah. they, they envisioned themselves as the best player in the world when they did it too exactly <laughs> man like so it, it's it's america's sport for a reason like mm -hmm. <laughs> it really is. Um, so that to me, that's why it's so special to me is because it's so pure and that it is a baseball movie for baseball lovers or anybody who's yeah. ever experienced the sport, which is everybody in this country, you know, for the most part. Um, I don't know, man. It just, yeah, it, it hits me. It, it Baseball was a very, very big part of my life. I mean, I played from, five years old up through high school. Um, nice. My uh, senior year, uh, I didn't play that year, and I don't even remember why I didn't. I just, I guess, you know, I'm, I'm 18 years old, and I'm doing my own thing or whatever. I just played football that year. But mm -hmm. um, I don't know. that The sport has always been close to me. My dad coached me uh, in baseball that, when I was in. huge, man. Exactly, in Little League. My mom coached my brothers. Like so, we were a baseball family growing up. Mm -hmm. uh, I was always a Braves fan. I, I grew okay. up. I'm not sure. I, I grew up uh, 
in northeast Arkansas, and most people there were Cardinals fans because it's kind of close to St. Louis. But mm-hmm. for for that reason, I hate the Cardinals, um, which is you and me both, my friend. You and me both. <laughs> yeah, my dad's a Cubs fans too. My my dad is from uh, uh, East uh, East Chicago, Indiana, or like yeah, no, exactly cl- right. close close to there. Um, yeah, so he's a, so as a Braves guy, and you're younger than me, so I'm guessing that whole Glavin Maddox Smoltz era is your is your go to. That's my go to, man. I was 10 yeah. years old when they won that World Series in '95. Oh, that's the year. To, like, like it, when I I'm I feel great. Like Chicago, thank goodness, after such a long time, <laughs> has had a renaissance. Like I've been lucky enough in my life to see all the teams win something. Like I I was old enough to watch '85 Bears. Uh, the Hawks on hockey have had a three-cup dynasty in the last 15 years. And then for baseball, you know, we've been a long-suffering town until the White Sox broke out in 05. And then, of course, the absolute magic that was the Cubs in 2016, oh, which was amazing. But, like, I most of those – and, of course, the Bulls had the run of runs. Oh, times. man, yeah. But, um, but I wasn't a basketball guy. So – for, my, for me, I never got, as a kid, I never got to see my team win. They got close a few times with 84 and 89, and I guess a little bit of 96, 97 in those Dusty Baker years, they had a shot. But, you know, the long-suffering, lovable loser Cubs stuff, you know, follows people like me around like a dark cloud forever. So I, I envy the people who get to see that as kids and not, like, don't get me wrong, I'll take a championship in my 30s and 40s, but to have one as a 10 year old kid and have that just, you know, light up your life forever was amazing. Yeah. I'm jealous. Absolutely, man. But, but I'll tell you as great as that was for me, I don't know. It it was equally as good, probably even better. It actually, it probably was better sitting on that couch in there in my living room, Mm -hmm. texting my dad back and forth, who is a huge Cubs fan from, from the Mm -hmm. time he was a kid and, me and him talking and sending each other pictures and stuff and just like on the edge of our seats for that last game when they came back from yeah. the 3-1 like crazy like oh yeah. my gosh man like just just that that time with him and he wasn't even here right he's in Arkansas I'm in Alabama but we're we're talking the whole time while this game is going on and mm-hmm. seeing him at I think he was 62 at the time yeah. and he'd never seen his team win a world series like it was just Oh, what a mm-hmm. what a moment, man! Yeah. Now, when it comes to the movie, or right here, let me go back to kid stuff. Um, no, 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 let me go back to the movie. My bad. Um, do you um, did you know much? Like as a kid, I didn't know anything about Shoeless Joe Jackson and the scandal. So it's kind of cool to have Costner talking to his daughter, kind of like narrate, kind of self narrate all of these little like, you know, little moments and factors about the sport and those stories. Like Shoeless Joe, I didn't know it until this movie, which is cool. I didn't, I didn't know it either. Like, the, the movie I, taught me, <laughs> so. Yeah. I know they had, like, eight men out at the same time, I think even two years before it in 87, but, of course, that's like more of an R-rated drama where I, I didn't watch that at the age of, you know, nine. So, yeah. what's it going to happen? Yeah. I, no, I... Sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was just saying, I didn't I, I didn't know anything about Shoeless Joe Jackson or the, the, the eight men out or anything. And I still haven't seen eight men out, which I want to see Ooh. at some point. Seek that out. It's a good it's a good counterpunch to this because you kind of have like almost I don't want to turn it into a Star Wars thing, but like if you were to make Eight Men out as like the prequel to this, where all of the fall from grace that is documented by Eight Men Out and the court cases and the and the you know the busted players and all that, and then you take a pause and then come and have them you know have have their best of them show up as a ghost coming out of corn would be a fun little one-two punch for sure. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. There's, I tell you what, there's one other, and I know this is going to be a more of a weird one, but um, there's one other kind of like aspect of this movie that, that fascinated me as a kid. And it's kind of the ghost aspect. Now I'm not a spooky, you know, Scooby-Doo loving person, or I'm not a, a weird occultist that needs to watch like ghost hunters and the things that are on like, you know, discovery channel and all that. But like, as a kid in the 80s who, you know, I grew up Catholic and, you know, I, you know, all the bells and whistles of Irish Catholic upbringing, which means Rudy's the most cherished movie I could ever talk about. <laughs> That's probably another show another day. But, no, but growing up Catholic and, and as a kid trying to figure out, well, what's, 
what's heaven? What's hell? What's the afterlife? You know, like all those big questions you have as a kid. And here comes this movie where, you know, player baseball legends are walking out of corn and men hear voices and there's there's very frank non-toxic masculinity not that that's a buzzword but <laughs> you know you know but just just very heartfelt talk about heaven and i know it's it's pie in the sky to have a you know to have heaven be iowa in a baseball field but what if it was and all that and it just super duper inspired me at the time to just to have that wonder of like are there ghosts? Are there spirits? Are can can they come? You know, can just I took it so literally as almost as a kid. Like, could that could that happen? Could people come back? And if they did, what would they do with their lives? Or what would it mean? And and then two like for example, in the same kind of vein, two years later is the movie Ghost, and and like and that's like a you know very romantic drama kind of level, but the same kind of idea. Like, is there an afterlife? What would it be like? And could it extrapolate it in that way? And Again, kind of the magic of movies of, you know, not every ghost has to be Casper, and not every ghost has to be a spooky, scary thing. Sometimes it can just be the longingness of life. And mm. I found that beautiful. Beautiful as a kid, intriguing as a kid, and it, and it hooks me as an adult even now, because even though I grew up Irish Catholic, I'm not the best Christian in the world in terms of strength of faith. Um, I went away from the church for a good long time through high school and college where I thought I was wiser and smarter than all that. Um, my wife is a non-denominational, kind of borderline evangelical Christian, and she kind of heard the joke her friends give her is, "Oh, you're you're missionary dating," where she, <laughs> you know, grabbed onto me this, you know, wayward Irish Catholic, and kind of she's done a really good job of bringing me back to to church or to faith and things like that. It's not not the strongest anchor and 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 you know, refilled piece of concrete in in my center of my core, but. I, I, I do like going back to movies like Fear the Dreams and Ghost and going, having that twinkle in my curiosity of, or in my faith of heaven mm -hmm. and what that could be and what, it, and, and if, if there is one, if there isn't one, gosh, it's really nice to envision and have fun with it in different ways. So that's a weird angle, but that's a big piece of what I get out of the movie. No, man. That's what we're here for, man. Uh, I mean, yeah. just, just guys talking about. Yeah. Sports movies. <laughs> where, where from a, I don't know if it does or doesn't, but share. Uh, where from a spirituality aspect does that movie hit you? Uh, well, or is it more the spirit of sports and like the, the camaraderie being a piece of community and, and brotherhood? Like, do you get that, or where does the where do the parallels come? Uh, I I consider it a fantasy. Like, I mean. Which I think it's labeled that way. Um, totally. But I, 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 I'm with you. Like what you just said there. Like it's more of the spirit of you know brotherly love and and camaraderie, um, and it teaches about families. And you know like I don't even know what they could. I mean, I'm kind of going to get on a rabbit trail, but like go for it. The, I don't even know what happened. You know what I mean? Like. Did these, did these guys actually appear? Were the families all having a dream? I don't know. It was just like, I, I just, I, I, it's just cool. Like, just, it's just, to me, it, it's like you said, it, it, what if heaven was like this? You know, like, it's just kind of like a, a, a fantasy type thing to where, you know, they're telling this story that's, you know, it's out there and it's, it's, you know, different. Um, and the way fantasy is, I mean, I mean, people can watch stuff like Lord of the Rings and, um, sure. you know, and, and Thor and, you know, whatever. That, you know, and know that the stuff doesn't exist. Um, yeah. But, I, I, you know, do I wonder if ghosts exist? Yes, of course I do. I don't know. Like, I mean, whatever. Um, but as far as, you know, heaven and hell, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a Baptist um, from, you know, nine months before I was born. <laughs> you know, like, that's just, that's just where I'm at, man. Um but I, I come to this film as a uh, it's the spirit of Americana, the spirit of of baseball yeah. and and working together. Uh, baseball is a great is is a great sport because you have you, you can't just play one way. Like right. 
like it's you've got to you've got to have a pitcher and you've got to and you've got to be able to hit like it's you can't yeah. just you can't just anyway it's it's like no but you're right the, the skill sets require community and teamwork for sure yeah and everybody everybody's skill set is different like mm-hmm. and, and they all have to be at the top of their game or like in a game yeah. in a game when you can win one to nothing everybody has to be per, like at, yeah. the, at the very top of their game yeah so i think the only sport that tops that and i know you know this is football like and football is interesting because in baseball most of the athletes are kind of of the same mold so to speak like you know you're you're young fit living fast but in football you have fat guy skinny guy you you know you yeah. have different demographics different people you know poor guys rich guys like Anybody can come together and kind of play football, and the skill sets of teamwork there to me is the only sport greater than baseball doing the same thing. And the fun part about baseball is baseball used to be, and I feel bad like why so part of why this movie feels like nostalgic and mythic is baseball used to be that sport you can just grab, grab a spare bat, grab a spare ball, you can grab a broom handle and play stickball if you really want to. Right. You can do it in the city, you can do it in the country, but it used to be the kind of sport. You know, I hate to say it like this, but that a poor man can just pick up and play. Mm-hmm. That's been replaced by basketball and soccer, where all you need is a ball and roll it out there and you go. Because mm-hmm. baseball become, has become, unfortunately, with the traveling teams and even the Little League stuff, kind, semi-elitist and semi-expensive to get into. Like, you just can't, you know, you can't get a wood bat at the hardware store anymore. You, you know, those Easton bats are, you know, 90 bucks or more, and... You know, it, it's not an easy sport to equip or come by anymore. And football is way worse than that, where you just can't. <laughs> yeah. you, just, you just can't go to Walmart, buy football stuff, and hope for 10 other guys, 20, 19 other guys, 20 other guys to go play with you. <laughs> Baseball, you could. Baseball, you can make up your own rules and get five guys and just screw around. Uh-huh. You know, Sandlot style. But uh, nowadays, it, it just doesn't have that. And I, and I, I feel like that mystique came around, unfortunately, after this movie where – Major League Baseball had a strike four years later in 93. It took the McGuire-Sosa stuff to kind of bring a little bit of old-school baseball back, although we found that to be, quote-unquote, tainted. And the game, has, the game has become millionaires arguing with billionaires. No one stays on the same team anymore. Free agency has splintered the sport. And, and the kinds of people who played the game and the legends who wrote the game that Field of Dreams celebrates kind of don't exist anymore. And that makes this movie even more nostalgic and even in a way more sad because yeah. what, because you, I'll take it back to what you said. When you go back to James Earl Jones's speech at the core of the game, that should be it. You know, it should be just what this game can be and mean. And every time I look at the modern stuff, just a piece of it has lost sight of that. Maybe even more than a piece, but yeah, it shouldn't have to. And that's why this movie is a great punch and reminder. Yeah, you're right, man. Like, um, you know, we said it's a little, a little slice of uh, Americana and a, a little, mm-hmm. a little piece of heaven. It may just be one of the last pieces of, uh, yeah. of, of real baseball that we've had. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, now, no, go ahead. I was just gonna say that's a good point though. Like you, it has mm-hmm. become a lot more expensive to do well. Like you can just pick up a basketball and work it, yeah. work at your game in your backyard. And yeah. so, but it's not like that in baseball anymore. So, nah, it used to be. I mean, because I was a kid who, lucky enough to have a mitt, and uh, I was, I, I had a, you know, a slanted roof where I'd throw balls in the garage and let it roll down, not get in the gutter, and hopefully bounce back where I can kind of play catch with myself with my brother and my, of course, my parents weren't kind of out there with that. Um, now, for manly movies, you talk about the things you can learn. Like, uh, I'll kind of take this in a couple of levels. As a father, what do you learn? Like, uh, well, like we've talked about it, us as kids. Accelerate it to now. What, do, what, what does this movie teach you now as a dad? Well, <clears throat> I was thinking about that, and I, and I kind of wanted to do a thing called um, manly moments. Go for uh, it. Um, there was one spot, and and I, if you had asked me, you know, three months ago, what what moment stuck out the most, I would have said, well, of course, Dad, you want to have a catch. But yeah. this last time I watched it, man. Ooh, here we go. Um, <laughs> yeah. When uh, Doc Graham is out there playing baseball with all the 
all the other guys. And, and, and this is a guy who never got to actually have an at-bat. He played one half of an inning uh, in, the, in the field, and he never got to, to hit the ball or face a pitcher. And that was the one thing that he always wanted to do. But he ended up, you know, going back to the minors, and and his baseball career kind of fizzled out. And he went on to be a doctor in a small community. But like he was like a hometown hero in this community, right? Like he went on to do some pretty amazing things, right? Mm-hmm. But he goes back as a ghost, and back in his twenties to Iowa, and he plays with all these guys, Shoeless Joe Jackson, and all these guys, and he's living his dream, right? And so yeah. he's out there playing, and all of a sudden, uh, Ray's daughter falls off the bleachers, choking on a hot dog, right? Mm-hmm. And they don't know what's wrong, um, and his wife is going to go call 911, and Ray's like, hold on. And he looks up, and he sees Doc's face. Mm-hmm. And 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 what was this? I, I just keep calling him Doc, but he had a nickname. I can't even remember. Art, Moonlight Graham. Moonlight Graham. Yeah, that's right. Moonlight, Moonlight Graham. Yeah, Archibald Graham. Yeah. So he's he's he he looks up and he sees the situation and he walks out and he goes to the edge of the field and he stops and he realizes, yeah. if I step off of this field, I can't come back. Mm-hmm. But he's like, screw it, I'm stepping off. And he turns back into the old doctor and he saves this girl's life because yeah. it's not about what what our dream job is is about what our actual calling is what we're meant to do like yes, sir it, <laughs> like that really that. really stuck out with me like mm-hmm. you know i've got things that i would love to do like, oh yeah absolutely like i've got these lifelong plans dreams that'll probably never come true mm-hmm. but as a husband and a father yeah i i have responsibilities and and Mm -hmm. that are that are bigger than myself and to see him do that say you know what that's my dream but this is my life this is what i'm supposed to do i'm supposed to save this girl's save this girl's life uh that that was my calling i got to live my dream i got to have fun but that Mm -hmm. ain't that ain't what it's about it's about manning up and 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 taking responsibility and doing what you're supposed to do and yeah that's what I got out of it this time around. I love that. I love that. Yeah, that that's fantastic. And and the arc of that, you know, where he saves the day and then he gets to go walk. That that I I don't want to call it a walk of shame because it's so not that. It's more of a a heroic walk back where when old Doc goes back on that field because like you said when he when he hits that age, that's it. And he gets that last walk back to the corn to where you can't make that trip again. But I love the players. Just good job, Doc. Good job. Oh, nice man. job, Doc. Uh, and if that that part, as the more I've seen the movie, like I, I cry instantly with the catch stuff at the end. But that part makes me cry first, you know, because it just comes up. And even the 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 wiggles of the lip are kind of there because James L. Jones hits that speech before it. But oh. when the Doc part comes and the, the the music softens down. You know, and he, you know, looks one last time and the sun's starting to just get perfect, you know, and then Leota drops that line of, you know, hey, kid, you were good. Oh, man. That's all you need. That's all you need. And because it's acknowledgement, acknowledgement from your peers. And and you know this as an athlete from your buddies. That's huge. That's everything. And the closest as now as the, the fun part for me and to kind of do the personal angle in the same way or just a tangential thing is um when uh I like I said at the beginning I was never big enough and strong enough and fast enough to play I was always the twerp smallest kid in my class I was young and uh I, I was like late August birthday so I was the youngest kid in my class all the time um, but when I got to junior high and high school I wanted to be around sports so bad because I'd been a sports nut but I was just same thing never big enough strong enough so um the coaches there talked me into being like the water boy the equipment manager and I loved that. And um, I did all three sports in junior high and high school, you know, football, baseball, basketball, all, all, you know, all six of those years. And even though I was never, you know, never got in the game, I, I was treated like I was part of the team. And, I, you know, I knew that at some point somewhere my work would be, you know, integral and helpful. And it was, you know, I would always thank along the way. And I just really, and same thing with the dad part, the angle of that was like for me is, that was a place to 
be around father figures for me. Like I said, as a guy who did not have a very good father figure at home. So I really gravitated to coaches and those coaches gave that little twerp redheaded kid a shot just to hang out and mm. be around, be involved and be given a little job to do. Even if it was an inconsequential job, I was included. I was the Archibald Graham, you know, where I wasn't, I, I was never going to be good, but I was included enough to be valued or at least be, yeah, just included. And the coolest part of that, that route for me was college where after two years of junior high and four years of, of high school, like just being the water boy. And I got a nickname to, to show for it where everybody calls me bubbles. I go home to my high school hometown and it's not Don, it's not Donald, it's, it's bubbles. Nice. Uh, but, um, yeah, I know. So, um, I go to college, um, and, uh, I, it was, I help out the division at the time it was division two football because it was a small kind of Catholic college. And, um, I, I kind of ended up being the only person from my high school who went to college to do anything with football. And it was the water boy, not the player. So I go through my four years of college as the equipment manager and guy on the college football team. We get to senior day, and I don't expect, you know, to just normally that's, you know, a player's thing, you know, but they're like, Donnie, you've been here four years. When they walk as seniors, and you're, because my mom, God bless my mom, my mom, even though her son never, crossed the white line other than timeouts to feed guys water. Never played, but my mom came to every home game of my college career as a football guy, even though I never played. He's like, Don, when it's senior day, you're walking out there and you're bringing your mom with you. We know your mom's been here all four years. Yeah. So so senior day, you know, when everyone, you know, they call the team across the field and just, you know, you wave, you get your little bouquet for your mom and all that. And But, yeah, I, I got to go out there with him after my four years of time out there. And uh, we do the banquet afterwards, and every player is supposed to come up for the senior day banquet and say something about everything. And 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 I'm the one guy making everybody cry. My buddies are like, Don, I wasn't gonna cry, but then you got up there and thanked your mom for coming to all those games for four years, and I just started crying because you started crying. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I that the Archibald Graham thing for me later in life, same with you, became a big hook for this movie because, yeah, I was in the twerp too. Hmm. That's good, man. That's good. Yeah. Um, another angle of this teaches me, as you know, as manly moments is the weird chance-taking things that Kevin Costner's main character does. Is you know, like I, I am that blunt, stubborn father and husband. Where if voices told me to knock down my livelihood and put a baseball field up. I'd probably do it. And I don't know if my wife would go with it as good as Amy Madigan does here, but oh. there's a good chance she might because she really, my wife really loves me. At least I, have, I hope so and think so. <laughs> so, um, hope she listens. Um, but no, like I, I admit I would be just like that dad of like, I, I would listen to the voices. I would go on a crazy trip. I would, I now all of that. I know you talked about man enough, but like all of that was like, you got to figure out, the mysteries that are that are hanging over your head about what these things are and i've got a wife who would let me do that and do that even around my kids now i don't know if i'm going to pretend to gunpoint take a professor out of austin or anything like that but like within reason i my wife would give me the latitude to explore something like that and and i and i at the same time it's i know you probably have it too where dads are providers like at the same time it's the financial stuff you're gonna lose the farm ray and all that stuff like that and i feel that pressure all the time too it being the i feel like i have to be the dad that's the breadwinner because my wife loves staying at home just watching kids so i have to make sure that i'm that guy and not that this movie does that struggle any greater than other movies with single working father struggles but you know but yeah there's enough of that there where it's interesting yeah and, and i'm Every time I watch this, it's just that relationship with Anne, Annie. It, it just yeah, it hits me, man. Like just the fact they're that a cool couple. they really are. Like, and no matter what he, the crazy harebrained stuff that he does, like out of nowhere, she stands by him. Now, now, yeah. now she's not gonna go down without a fight. Like she's gonna come. She's a pistol. She's gonna come at him and say, like. Did, did you really hear that you know like she was like questioning him but yeah. ultimately she was there as his uh helper and as uh someone who's gonna you know stand by her man as tammy Wynette would say right. you know um 
Yeah, I'm a... Is your is your wife that cool? Oh yeah, yeah. Or she... would she be like? Would she be like, honey, you're you're nuts. What are you doing? Would she would she push back or would she hang with that? If I was like seriously convicted about it, then yeah, she would she yeah. would she would hang with me. Uh, I mean, she would she okay. would talk about it and question it. And but of course, as long as I was like 100 percent like. This is what we have to do. She'd be she'd be down with it for sure. I'm just okay. I, I'm just not that not as decisive as Ray is. <laughs> like, I, I I'm the fast decision maker in, in this yeah. relationship over here in my place yeah. where my wife will even say like, hey, I, I can't make a decision that fast. And I'm like, what do you mean? Let's go. Come on. Yeah, we got this. Let's, you know all that. I I'm normally that guy, impulsive to a to a large extent for sure. Yeah. What other manly moments stand out for you? I mean, or should we should we culminate with? I mean, the catch. I mean, that's that's huge. And like I said earlier, like I never had someone to play catch with, and it certainly wasn't my dad. So I watched that, and I just love the setup of that scene. is really really good, and I don't know if you've ever read the book, but um, in the book, it's not a surprise. The uh, spoiler alert for people who haven't read the book, but in the movie they really until he takes that catcher's mask off and Kevin Costner Ray Kinsella gasps and goes, "Oh my God, it's my father!" You know that that hits. That's a movie moment made with a ton of bricks, and I love it. In the book, I'll tell you more about the book when we finish the moment here. But in the book, he knows his dad is there. For a bunch of like once they expand from the Black Sox to all the other players, his dad does show up and it's it's just kind of known that he's there and stuff like that. It, there's no catch scene and it's not a surprise of any kind of consequence. The movie, to me, is one of the number one. As seeing all the movies I see and stuff like that, the movie for me is one of those extremely notable cases where the movie is an improvement on the book solely because of that amazing ending, because. When that's a surprise, and then it turns into just Costner changing his tone from trying to talk in the third person to go, "Hey, Dad," and his voice just quivers ever so little bit, you know, you know, hey, it won't have a catch, and the 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 normal lowness that is Costner fades away as where he's a kid again, and it's his dad, and they're gonna play catch, and it's beautiful, and of course they found. The most amazing magic hour. No matte painting, green screen, Iowa sunset time magic hour, and nailed it. Oh, absolutely. That that, oh, that beautiful. That scene, it, it is beautiful. And 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 every time I watch it, it's just it just brings back. I would. It's been a long time since I've had a catch with my dad. But you know, mm-hmm. when I watch that, him doing it as a grown man. I'm like, I think the next time my dad comes to visit, I'm like, hey, let's go out and play catch. <laughs> you know, like, it, it becomes a why not thing, like permission granted. Go out there and play catch with your dad, no matter how old he is. Yeah, exactly. Nah, I'm, I, when I was listening to the uh, the last time I watched it, probably about a year or two ago, uh, I listened to the uh, the DVD commentary, which was the, uh, d- the director. And um, just kind of obviously uh, like a lot of DVD commentaries, there's a lot of logistics of what was this and what was that. and. Yeah. And he said they had the like once that son showed up at the at when when the actor who plays Costner's father, obviously the younger Costner version of Costner's father, he was only there on set for like a couple of days. Um, and there's a story behind it where the actor who plays the father, uh, he recently just lost at the time of filming lost his father mm. and had all those emotions on his heart coming out there trying to act this scene. And for him to play the dad and have that – and obviously that scene, you can imagine only on set. Like this is not just a throwaway line, cut, take, whatever. Like you can tell that there's an intimacy even between those two performers on that scene of how did, how did, can you get to that moment on the inside and have it come out on the outside. And the director was saying that actor who – I don't know. I don't think I've ever seen him in a movie since. Like he didn't have to go very far to find emotion that was going to anchor him to that scene because he just lost his dad. Like like two days before, had to leave and go take care of funeral stuff. Or I forgot how the story went, but it was super recent. And he's like, it just came out. And like they had such a short take to do that. And like when the cameras were off, it just all came out. Mm. And then at the same time, they said it was just really tricky because that that again that amazing son 
where the the window to catch that is so an infinitesimally small in movie making that they only had like that one or two chances at it before the light goes away and it's, it's amazing wow that, that yeah. that's <laughs> the stars were aligned for that scene yes. man like and yeah and i i know i i assume you heard like especially this past week when they had the, the the revival game out there with MLB and I listened to a few of the interviews that Costner gave with like the Today Show and different people like that and and he's that guy who believes what the character believes he's like when there's that moment in the movie where Ray Kinsella looks over all of what he's done and goes this is perfect and Costner to this day you know showing his age because he's in his 60s and he shows it <laughs> and he's like but he he comes back to this and i'm even if it's just a a line and a performance an actor says in front of press and with a microphone and a camera on him but i i really believe him when he says what he's made there and he's so proud of this movie he calls it perfect and i feel like he's right because same thing with the dvd commentary and the stories of how they got there and how they pulled that off and had to time it right with how tall the corn was going to have to get and you can't do the tall corn scenes until you know the till the end of the season so every, you shoot everything else before it and out of order and you know while the corn's growing you do all the boston and minneapolis stuff and and you know, he's like but he's like but to see it all align and because it was done with almost independent level money you know some studio backing because it's costner costner was a big star then but you know not made for peanuts compared to the movies of today and <laughs> You know, to hear Costner talk about it in, you know, on, on background stuff on the DVD, but to hear him talk about it today, I'm with him. He he says this movie deserves what the treatment it gets right there next to It's a Wonderful Life. Like you said, this Americana fantasy that the people that people come back to all the time. And he, he's got that special movie on the resume where he can do anything else in his life. He's won Oscars for other things. This will be the thing. That gets written on his proverbial tombstone. And and let's also add that he's also in his 60s, and he's still the leading man in the number one television show on TV right now. Like, yeah, I I I've not watched Yellowstone now. Oh As my a movie guy, gosh, man! I know, I know. As a movie guy, I, I just can't. Man, I don't have the capacity and time to chase the TV stuff. I want to because I hear nothing but good things. Oh, so. dude, it's so good. And, and yeah. Coster is just like you said. He's won Oscars. He's you know, even in his sixties. He's still, you know, rocking the screen. Mm -hmm. But he has this movie to look back at and say that was perfection. <laughs> like. And still, and and I, I'm I'm right there with you on the It's a Wonderful Life, and and people don't know that some some people a lot of people know this. It's a Wonderful Life is my all-time favorite movie. I watch it every single year. And I get why. And I cry like a like a blubbering baby every time. Like in several mm -hmm. moments, several times in that movie, I will cry, especially at the very end. Oh, the richest man in town. Yeah. Um. But like. Ooh, I know. And and both of them are are. Americana fantasy films, and I don't really even care for fantasy, but those two movies, It's a Wonderful Life and Field of Dreams, just touch my heart, man, every single time. Like, yeah. I just, oh, gosh. I'm glad you brought that up because I, I never did, I never really made that connection, but they're both, they're both uh, yeah. American fantasy films that aren't really your traditional fantasy, but no. they're, oh. they're rooted in real life places and all that. Yeah. I know. To go to go along with the the game last week, um, Dyersville, Iowa, is not far from here, I, and I'm mad at myself uh, in my 42 years of life. Well, I'll be 42 in a week or so, but uh, um, that I've never made the pilgrimage to to see the place. And now that of course that they've re, you know, re, you know, re up the place a little bit, I'm sure they'll charge a little more money to go visit the site and all that. But I I I need I need to go. I I have family in in eastern iowa who are like an hour from dyersville and they're like oh yeah people go there all the time it's like it it's something you just stop around when you're around for the locals you know but it's a pilgrimage that i'm too too close to not to make so i gotta find a way to do that um oh the other thing i was gonna bring up with the differences of the book the book's a good read i gotta admit it's a good read and it it plays up some of the fantasy stuff uh greater and more there's more the book has more characters that are kind of along for the whole collection, the you know the collection Ray Kinsella is making to get people to this field. One of them is an old cub, 
uh, a retired guy that it's actually the farm owner before Costner took over the farm. Like the old man who owned the farm before Costner came in and, and bought the place was a former old school cub. And like he had like retired to a nursing home and things like that. He's like, I got to get you out to this field. You wouldn't believe who's here. And then the, uh, the another weird angle is he has an identical twin brother who works for like the traveling carnival and kind of the same story, like also didn't have the best relationship with dad. Didn't, you know, try to, be, you know, kind of like Costner's character, like had that moment of maybe trying to be a player, but of course had to grow up and, you know, they, they aren't as close as they used to be as brothers. Cause he's on the road doing different things. Ray's character got married and, you know, did the farm thing and all that. So it's getting his brother there. It's getting this other player here. The moonlight Graham stuff has more, baseball scenes to it he makes more stops like he stops in like we see the boston game but he stops like in minnesota he stops like in chicago he stops in cleveland he like he he makes a big pilgrimage out of it more than two three stops but i think the movie did right by finding the most important ones because that moonlight Graham story is perfect yes and then of course the um and then the other twist of it is uh the author or the theologian, whatever you want to call it, that Terrence Ray Kinsella's character brings to Terrence Mann. That's a movie invention. The character in the book was the actual J.D. Salinger, who wrote Catcher in the Rye. Salinger would not let his, um, would not allow his persona uh, to be used. Like, J.D. Salinger has become a recluse in his later years after becoming a successful author. Uh, he does not let Catcher in the Rye or any of his properties ever be filmed for theater or for movies. He also does not allow his persona to be used in in theater or movies. He let it, it being written about in a book is fine, but he his estate and him did not allow the Salinger character to come into this movie. So they had to invent a different character. So they made a civil rights guy played by James Earl Jones, but complete movie invention. In the book, it's J.D. Salinger. That's cool, man. Amazing. Wow. Yeah. Um, well, I, I had one. Cause, of, sorry. Cause like apparently Salinger's yeah, go, but apparently like the real life Salinger, huge baseball fan and had like his little story to it. And it, you know, and same thing, same kidnapping angle, same talk to angle <laughs> and try to get him out to Iowa. I've, I've, but also no. Spoilers. I've got to read that book. Absolutely. Me too. Yeah. Um, one other thing I wanted to mention though, as far as fathers, um, go one, yes, one thing that Ray says, um, he's what he said, he's 36 years old, I think, right? I'll be 36 next month. Oh, great. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, I guess there it's time, go. I guess it's time for me to build a, a baseball field. Um, but he says, how, how big is your backyard, man? <laughs> not that big. He says, no. I never, yeah. T-ball field. There you go. He says, I never forgave my father for getting old. By the time he was my age, he was ancient. What do you think he meant by that? And and do you think, um, do you, wh- whose side are you on on this? <laughs> That's my question. Like, um, I've been on both of those sides because, like I said, like, uh, like I've kind of hinted at, like, I, I was definitely that kid who grew into that prick 20-something you know, know-it-all guy who thought he knew life better than his own dad did. And, and yeah, my dad wasn't the nicest guy, but when I, when I finally grew up and learned kind of where his issues came from, where his, what the things that troubled him enough to, to drink and be rough and just be, just be difficult. Um, once I finally was old enough and mature enough to understand what made him tick like that and where he's coming from, I, I, I then got to the second half of what you're talking about where I understood it and I can forgive him. And like I, like I was kind of hinting at before, um, uh, him and I had a terrible relationship as kids. He and I are wonderful now. Now that I'm, you know, over 30 and a father, he, he's, he's an amazing grandpa to my kids. And it's, it's water under the bridge for him and I, which is great, which is difficult because – or it's, it's such a switch for me because – as a kid, when I had this, you know, not the best example, dad, mom had to be the substitute dad. And my mom has since become a meddlesome pain in my butt where <laughs> like her and I, who used to be super close, are now contentious and not close, mm. which is a shame. 
Um, and we'll, we'll get our issues right, her and I. But at the same time, I love that I have gotten to a place of truly, for all the catches, all the things he's missed, all the things that don't matter, yet we feel like at the time they matter, I've gotten to the place of being of forgiving my dad. But I totally admit to being right there with Ray of, I was, I'll never talk to him again. I'm, I'm never going to forgive him or just, or I can't picture him being young and having things and dreams before me and, and being when he was a dad and a kid and things like that. And I, I look at like now I'm 42 in a week and I try to picture what, you know, what was he doing at 42? And I'm, and I'm at that age where he was at his worst. And I love that I'm, I personally feel like I'm at a place where I'm near my best instead of my worst. And it feels good about that. But at the same time, I've been on both sides of that. And it's who's right. Forgiveness is right. Right. Like you got to understand you got to, you got to reach a point where you understand that people were different people in different areas of their lives. They different things throw them off the good paths and, the, and put them on bad paths uh, and, and redemption is found everywhere uh, with the people who are right, the people who are wrong, uh, people who are young and people who are old. So I think the right version is the forgiveness part. How did you take that moment? That's my big long whew, part to it, but well, where are you coming from on that? Well, I've kind of, <clears throat> from a couple different angles, like I, I kind of, it makes me want to always remember what it's like to be a 15 year old boy uh or 16 year old 17 whatever and and not be so distant from my kid that he resents me for it you know that that we Mm. can we can work through problems and i think the, the fact that he didn't have a good relationship with his dad um it just kind of drove him further away um so I, I don't want to – I see his point of view in that, yeah. you know, I don't want to be that dad that put that that, mm-hmm. that is so distant and so ancient, as he calls it. Um, but then also, you know, I've also been – like you said, I've – my dad, he, he – I'm not gonna say he was bad. Like he 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 was there. He coached me in little league. I told you that. But yeah, for a while yeah. for a while there, he got to where he kind of made um, work his big priority. You know, getting that next that next ladder, and he missed out on a lot of mm-hmm. things, a lot of a lot of ball games yeah. and stuff. Um, and he kind of got distant there for a while, for years actually. Um, sure. Up up until his you know you know, fifties or so when he finally realized what, what, what was important in life was family. Um, but it took, it really took my wife actually pushing me saying, Hey, um, you need to make more of an effort to, uh, have a better relationship with your dad. And yeah, dude, like (laughs) just that little, our, our, our relationship is great now. Like, so it's it yeah. couldn't be better. I mean, uh, that that moment that we shared a few years ago with that Cubs game, the the, the World Series. Um, so I, I've been that guy who doesn't want to forgive him, and, but then once you do, man, once you do, it just releases everything. Like, like, yes, <laughs> you don't forgive absolutely. You don't forgive people for other, for their sake. You forgive people for your sake. Because it makes you feel better. It's a weight off of your back. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I'm I'm with you. I'm on, I'm on the side of forgiveness. There's no there's no right and wrong. Forgiveness is the right way, hundred percent. So yeah, I know. Ah man, Whew. it's <laughs> such a good movie for that. And and like I said, I know there's probably greater father stories out there in movies. And I I I was on um I was on a different podcast a few years ago, three four years ago, where uh. We had to do it. We had to kind of do it on the spot, kind of top five list of like top. I had to do a top five movie dads. I think it was a podcast for um or dad, fathers or father figures. I think it was just. I think it had to be fathers. And my number one father, which was funny, was uh, Clark Griswold. You know, because I'm the you know at some point you're the dad who really tries so hard, but still is 
a screw up in a mess and you know and <laughs> things like that. So, but um, but I I didn't you know I didn't have this movie on a top five dad list, but and but it it does enough that if this doesn't shove you down that rabbit hole of wanting to do more dad movies, I don't know what will. For real. Um, before we go, I did want to mention. Um, did did you, yeah. did you ever catch the what movie the daughter was watching that Ray told her to turn this off? Oh, I should know this. Oh man, I don't want to do dead air on your podcast. Um, I don't. Jimmy Stewart, talking. Harvey. Oh, oh, he's watching Harvey. Perfect, because the ghost. Yeah, <laughs> right? oh, it's hilarious. Like I didn't catch yeah. that until this last time, and I had never seen Harvey until probably you know five, four or five months ago, and so I was watching it yeah. last night. I was like, dude, she's watching Harvey. Like, how perfect is that? Uh-huh. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, channeling Capra at the same time as channeling the ghost thing. That's awesome. Yeah, uh, it's yeah. it's it's awesome. Good stuff. Um, I I got a I got I got a parting question for you here. Okay. Um, could this movie be made today? Ooh. Like I know you know Hollywood loves making remakes or trying to do stuff again. To me, I, I'll let you answer first. Can can this movie be remade? If you did, could it be done? What do you think? There's too much cynicism, man. Like in in the world we live in today, I just I don't I don't think there's enough sentiment out there to for it to get any kind of legs. I agree. Like I, I just yeah. it's it's a once in a lifetime thing, and I don't think it'll happen yeah. again. Yeah, I think the game has changed too, where you couldn't you couldn't make this wholesome baseball story today because you watch you watch Ray talking about in, in a 19 you know, 80s movie talking about players from the teens and 30s. That means if you accelerate that timeline, so that's uh, 50 years. Like, if you go back 50 years now, can we say the same thing about the Pete Rose 60s, you know, the Johnny Johnny Bench era? Like, is is there enough romanticism in the 60s era of the game to talk about it now? And, man, I I don't think there is. Or look what the game has become today, like we said earlier, where... I think you're right. You you nailed it with that first word, cynicism. I think a movie like this made today would, would get shot down for being so schmaltzy, even though it has no, even though it's a wonderful, innocent, redemptive story. It would, yeah, it would get pissed on. It's a shame that it would, but it but it would, which means you're right. This is that timeless thing, like it's a wonderful life that it, that's gonna it's gonna stand the test of time and be the time capsule it deserves to be. I did see the story this past week that somebody's talking about turning this into a series, like remaking it, but in a TV format. I, I, I don't know how they can do that. I'm not sure what that can look like or be. Unless they took the book and like made every episode, like one of his stops and like expounded upon it. So, I mean, yeah, it would be, possibly. it would be a fun kind of road trip kind of thing, but I, I don't know, man. Yeah. I just, it's hard yeah. in today's in, in today's world, man. I think if I remember correctly, let me look this up here quick before I on Wikipedia and don't fall down the rabbit hole here quick. I I want I think there's a sequel to this, like as a book sequel. Maybe I'm wrong. I know the author did another baseball movie or did another baseball book. W.P. Kinsella. He moved. Yeah, uh, where is it at here? Do, 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 do. Oh, there's a story about a baseball game between pros and Native American reservation baseball players that supposedly is like the longest baseball game in history. It was like, a, I don't know, like 12 days and like 200 <laughs> innings or something because it was it was something where it was like a deadlock thing of talent, like a Mystery Alaska kind of story where like the pros come up to play the locals and the locals actually can play. I don't remember. I have to look it up somewhere, but yeah, I don't know. That's cool. Well, uh, before we go, uh, Don, why don't you just tell people how they can uh, find you, talk to you, or uh, any, any, you, you do a podcast. Why don't you kind of tell tell people about that? So, sure. No. Um. In terms of social media, you can find me anywhere you search. Every movie has a lesson. That's between Twitter and Facebook. Um, I am a staff writer and film critic for 25YL. That's 25yearslatersite.com. 
Connected to that is the Cinephile Hissy Fit Podcast, which you can search between Stitcher, iTunes, or Spotify. Um, and other than that, I'm a school teacher who has numbered days before work starts to come and creep over me and knock all the free time out of my life. So, Very nice. Um, and again, I'm JB. I'm not as connected as Don as far as film goes, but I do do a, uh, a SEC sports podcast that you know I'll probably talk about as, on, on another day. Um, or um, yeah, <laughs> most of the people listening to this probably listen to that too. So just saying. That's right. <laughs> but anyway. Um, it was a pleasure. Glad to have you, Don. It was a, a great conversation. I enjoyed it. Um, I just want to same say, here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I just want to say to all the the husbands, the fathers, uh, and all, just all the men in general out there, guys, you got to man up. <laughs>